guys, welcome back to another ESL podcast. I am your host, Arsenio, as usual. And today, like I told you in the previous podcast, we're going to be doing a reading. As a matter of fact, you're going to be doing a listening. However, there are five questions that are available on my blog, thearseniobuckshow.com, that you guys will be able to hurry up, click on, and answer some of the questions on there. And of course, if you want to communicate and want the answers, you are more than welcome to message me or post on my blog at any time. So, with that being said, I'm going to be going over the content of this reading, but of course... Luckily, I have the audio form of this. So grateful for that. And we're going to listen and then I'm going to discuss. So with that being said, guys, man, let's get right into this audio along with my beautiful bow speaker that I always have to turn on, which sucks so much. But anyways, here we go, guys. Without further ado, let's get into this bad boy. Overbooked by Elizabeth Becker. About a tenth of the world economy is devoted to tourism and travel. And for her expose of the travel industry's dark side, author and journalist Elizabeth Becker has traveled on behalf of readers to destinations where many, no doubt, would head if only they had the means. Overbooked sees her in Bordeaux and Venice, on luxury safaris in Zambia, at cooking classes in Bangkok, and proving that she has not lost the taste for self-punishing reportage that she established as a Washington Post war correspondent in the 1970s, attending a succession of mind-numbing tourism industry conferences. For most places, she presents a brief, unsurprising travelogue, pizza in Italy, lions in Africa, to sweeten her rather depressing analysis. Namely, that when unregulated, the travel industry is more likely to ruin than enhance what it seeks to promote. Tourism turns out to be the top single revenue source in countries as diverse as France and Thailand, according to Becker. Uh. Overbooked slams pretty much all countries for messing up their tourism in ways both large and small. Were it not for Venice's relaxed policy on the number of tourists it admits, for example, it wouldn't have found itself sinking into the Adriatic over the last few decades. For this lack of foresight, it gets the thumbs down. Becker criticizes a number of nations for clearing villages to build hotels. She reproaches other countries and their visitors for condoning the practice of employing people but denying them basic workers' rights. And so that no one could question her even-handed approach, she extends her criticism into international waters to convict cruise ships of underpaying cabin stewards and waiters while pumping sewage into the sea. Good point. Very good point. Becker's like condemnation is this. Tourists enjoy a glorious reputation nowhere. They don't work, they leave before they make friends, and Bermuda shorts flatter no one. As the travel writer Robert Byron observed in the 1930s, tourists may be seen as a parasitic variation of the human species. Oh, too much. And yet, the host countries they visit continue to welcome them with open arms. If there is exploitation, at least it is mutual. Many places Becker names are in fact the envy of their regions, and tourism there is mostly a bounty, even for the poor. Countries suffering from over-tourism are, needless to say, 
far better off economically than ones that nobody wants to visit. If the tourism industry had never sprung up, there would be fewer opportunities for others to take advantage of it and make a living from experience-seeking tourists. The author offers up the same solution to nearly all the gripes she identifies, shaming and better regulation. Shaming. Venice should limit tourism and protect its local grocers and bakers from large chains of supermarkets. Countries troubled by corruption should eliminate it to protect their poor and ensure that tourism dollars, often in the billions, trickle down and reach those people who need them most. Excellent point. And those extremely wealthy countries, well, they should be forced by the weight of public opinion to provide for the welfare of their foreign workers, who are often not in a position to stand up for themselves. Some of these proposals are obvious and could be realized relatively easily, but others, dealing with corruption, for instance, are infinitely more challenging. Mm. Becker's prescription for the United States is still less satisfactory. This country has systematically defunded its tourism promotion offices, she explains, and could reclaim its shrinking share of global tourism revenue by investing in them anew. America apparently doesn't suffer from over-tourism. <laughs> she parrots the line of travel industry lobbyists who sensibly point out that immigration lanes at U.S. airports need reform. Yes. Since they now have all the warmth and welcome of the administration block of a jail complex. Yes. But she also argues that to get back in the game, the U.S. government should pay for overseas tourism offices and websites and sink money into something called the United Nations World Tourism Organization, which the U.S. left during the late 1990s to no discernible detriment. Tourism propaganda might make sense for countries whose existence people might otherwise forget. Should anyone still be ignorant of America, they probably won't learn about it by visiting its official website. Mm. Now, comments. Comments. Tourism isn't always about exploitation. Ms. Becker would know how vital tourism is to our economy if she'd visited our country. Perhaps we're a little too far off the beaten track for her. But I'd say the same is true for many countries. Tourism is a major export, and thousands of jobs depend on it. True. Becker's point about passing through U.S. immigration is spot on. Mm. Last year, we flew from Paris to Sydney. Had we thought for one moment that it would take three hours to get through customs in Los Angeles, yes. we would have chosen a different route. Never again. But the comments about Venice are unfounded. Sure, it's busy, but that's what makes it so dynamic. It's the people, both locals and visitors, that make a place worth visiting. Mm. Good statement. Becker's argument sounds rather one-sided. Sometimes tourist dollars can be put to good use. If local governments hadn't been pushing ecotourism in Africa and South America over the last few decades, a number of species would be extinct by now. A safari in Kenya was just about the best experience I've ever had. Awesome guides and spectacular scenery. I don't believe that. New hotels have totally ruined the natural coastline near my home. But if it wasn't for the development of the resort, we'd never have persuaded the government to invest in our roads. The motorway that now connects the resort to the city has halved travel time. 
tourism can and does improve the infrastructure of a country. Okay. Oh my God. There are so many things to dive into. Seriously, like a lot. But first and foremost, I'm going to hurry up and say it like this. I'm going to be very blunt. I'm going to be very frank. Now, when it comes to tourism, if we go back to the early 1900s, there, were no, there was no tourism. There was no communication. And what was going on in the world when there wasn't? World wars. World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War. We were talking hundreds of millions of lives were lost in the 1900s. It was a century of bloodshed. Now, going into the 2000s, I believe that not only war has completely, oh my God, it's been slashed and a lot of people would say, oh my God, terrorism, this and that. Well, there's not so much happening anymore, right? Except in the Middle East. But if we put things into perspective compared to what was just 100 years ago in one of the most egregious times in all of the world, we are much better off right now. Honestly, I believe that the racism is far less. Let me give you an example. I know people from Korea are listening to me. There was an NFL wide receiver by the name of Heinz Ward. He is African-American and Korean. He used to live in Korea in the beginning stages. And you know what? The Korean people, they were completely opposed to biracial babies. So what had happened is the mother would walk, go walking amongst the community in the 1970s, 1980s, and they would call her child a dog. This is because they are not exposed to biracial couples. And it's still, again, not as bad as before because, again, you know, the older people have gotten very old and they have perished and now we have the younger generation. But without opening the eyes and the minds of human beings, I think racism will always be prevalent. So if we look at China, and I know Chinese, uh, you know you guys listen to me. I love you guys, but you guys could also attest to this. There is a wide range of uh, comments that America throws out about Russia's Chinese, all that craziness. I don't, li- I never listen to, you know, I never listen to any of that garbage. I always judge things based on what I see with my own eyes. And when it comes to China, they're programmed. I mean, I think we could agree that, agree to that. And China's very vast. It's massive, 1.5 billion people. And the thing is, they don't encourage people to, like communities, like you don't encourage a lot of people to come down and to, te- well, to teach there. You got teachers sparingly over here, over there and whatnot. But they, because they're so controlled, because the media, there's such a lockdown on the media, the majority of what they see about color people, we're talking about from the, col- the continent of Africa, America, and the, the very few that live in England and Australia is all bad. So if you go up to someone typical, let's just say, and uh, if I go to Chuk Ching, right? And I go there and I ask someone, hey, so what do you think about uh, this in particular? They would have a mindset, a perception, very monolithic, meaning very old, 100-year-old perception of a specific group of people based on what they see on TV. See what I mean? So tourism, I think, is exceptional. I think countries are doing other things or they're doing... They're letting a lot of people in, but at the same time, I'm going to break this down little by little. So that's my whole point. Without tourism, racism, racism would be on the rise. Racism would be war. 
that's what happened last uh, millennia. I mean, not millennia. Yeah, well, last millennia, technically. But last century, right? There was war, rampant war. Why is that? Zero communication, zero accepting of other people's beliefs, and uh, just, uh, yeah, racism. That's exactly what Hitler was about. Oh, we hate the Jews. We hate this. Okay, but we're in Poland, Krakow. Let's get all these people out. Let's incinerate them. That's racism. He wanted to have a dominant gene. That's racism. See what I mean? So make no mistake, people. You must understand the different perceptions that you may harvest within your mind. We're talking about the blueprint of reality. Now, that's only my personal opinion. Okay? Now, I'm going to tackle another specific subject. <laughs> and I think Lucy Rayner, she said that passing through immigration in America took her three hours. Okay? And also, on top of that, America isn't a very touristy country. That's all there is to it. America, yes, people would say, oh, it's very big, it's very big, it's very, I understand, I get it, I understand, I get it, okay? America is massive. But at the same time, there aren't many places to visit in America. I, I know, I know, I could be wrong. I know a lot of you out there, man, New York, yes. Got my folks in Manhattan, New York. Uh, something Meadows, New York. Uh, New York, New York. A lot of different places you guys listen to me out there in California, apparently over there in Washington, and of course, in the, just remote areas. I get it. But you guys aren't going to have people coming out there saying, yeah, we're here to go everywhere. No, because there's inadequate transportation to get from point A to point B. You must rent a car. And again, renting a car in Los Angeles, they, you know, no offense, but one wrong turn and you're in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in, in the Western Hemisphere. So, I mean, you know, if you promote tourism, the only super major touristy place would be Hawaii. And that has a monster Japanese population there because it's very easy to get to. And Hawaii is fantastic beyond belief. But you're never going to see someone like, yeah, I'm going to go do touristy things in California. I mean, you could. Maybe I could be wrong. You know, I've heard someone trying to pitch to me the idea that there are beautiful things outside of Beverly Hills. But honestly, I was in Beverly Hills, and Beverly Hills looks like a little bit less than what I've seen here in Bangkok, to be honest with you. You know, the paved roads weren't that, they were all cracky-ish, sidewalks, homes that were probably upwards to a million dollars look like homes out here in Thailand for like $100,000. You see what I mean? So again, my perspective, America isn't one of those places where you would just go, yeah, I'm going to go to America. It's wonderful. It's kind of like Australia, too. I love Australia. I think Australia is beautiful beyond belief. Sydney is one of the most gorgeous cities in the world, period. Melbourne, tough to get around. Beautiful place. No, no, it's not tough to get around. Uh, it's, it's, Melbourne's crazy because it's just one big, massive city. Sydney is kind of like spread out, and there's a lot to see, a lot of different areas to go to. I love what Sydney is just unbelievable and the people of australia are just unbelievable too but in saying that would i go to what if you say arsenio would you oh obviously me being from america would you travel to america by yourself and be a tourist well i went to hawaii okay this is back eight years ago and that was one of the worst trips of my life because it was boring you can't just meet people in america it's not like that i mean yes okay there weren't applications or applications now where you can meet different people and set things up yes i get it yes eight years ago there wasn't now in hawaii now hey maybe it's a little bit better right now i don't know but what you have to go there with someone same goes for australia 
you can't just go to Sydney and be like, yeah, I'm going to go meet people and have a great time. It's not like that. You got to meet people before you get there. Now, I got people out there in Australia, so I would have an absolute blast before going out there. 1,000%. Not, it's not even close. But I'm just saying, America has that image that, yeah, we're not just going to go there and just be tourists. I mean, you could. A lot of people do. I'm a big ba- uh, man. I hands to my face for you Chinese folks and for you Japanese folks and for you Korean and anyone else who travels to America, like with two, three people and you're driving from the, you know, San Diego to Yosemite and then going over to the Eastern side of Oregon and then going down to, you know, uh, the Yellowstone National Park. I think that's in Wyoming, if I'm not mistaken. They're going down to Zion. You, you know, there's some great places. There's some great caves out there in New Mexico. Um, big ups to you guys. If you guys are super up for that, go ahead. <laughs> but I think going to the likes of Valley and going to Mount Bromo and going whitewater rafting and going into the monkey jungle, I think that's just a little bit more exciting. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Now, <sighs> immigration. Yes, immigration is a disaster, okay? However, for American citizens, we go to a machine, we get a printable ticket, we go up to the guy, he doesn't make eye contact, depending on what color you are, I know it's pretty American boy. That was my own people too, can you believe that? Uh, And he just says, hey, where were you? It was like an interrogation, he's like, oh, welcome back home. I'm like, yeah, that was the most unwelcoming back home, thank you very much, goodbye. Uh, But when I landed in Hawaii eight years ago, he's like, welcome back. Oh, that felt so good. Oh, my God. I love my Hawaii people, boy. Because they, the, 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 I felt the passion behind it. Welcome back, sir. And he looked right in my eyes and gave me a genuine smile. And I said, God damn, it's good to be back. <laughs> Anyways, Los Angeles Airport, guys, avoid at all times. It is a piece of garbage. Uh, it's a little bit better now, okay? Customs are, is always a pain in the ass. I think the, uh, the, the security... Okay, you taking off everything, they're extremely strict. They'll start yelling at you at any given moment, so be careful. And when you land in L.A., it's not a place I would land in. I would try to land in San Francisco instead because, again, she said three hours. Um, I remember when I went downstairs and I went to my line for U.S. passport holders. For foreign passport holders, they were long. Oh, they were beyond long. And, you know, it looked just like Malaysia, K-L-I-A-1. I stood in that goddamn line for one hour. Here in Thailand, there were times and instances about two, three years ago where people waited four to eight hours. People were fainting. It was hot. It was a mess because they just lacked, lacked everything. But then they cleaned it up after a couple of weeks or three weeks or so. So <sighs> there it is, okay? When I landed in Singapore, the last time I landed there, it was like 25 minutes. I'm like, guys, come on, man. I could go to another terminal and get out. This is ridiculous. This has got to be, and the thing is, Singapore airport is massive, so I could come in and come out anywhere, right? I didn't have to go to that guy, per se, but it was a little bit ridiculous. So, uh, what else? Uh, Malaysia, uh, Maldives, it was an interrogation beyond belief. I'll never go back there. Thank you very much. Uh, what is it? Japan, they were very nice. <laughs> the guy couldn't speak English, and he was showing me, like, do you have this? But he didn't, he didn't ask me, right? He was showing me a picture of, like, child porn i said oh absolutely not what is wrong with you and he's like oh <laughs> you know he was smiling i was like what the what the hell's going on so i guess they were just asking me if i had all that crazy 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 super nasty crazy disgustingly crazy stuff i said man you better get your behind away from me so anyways guys that's in terms of layovers okay 
Now there's another segment I want to focus on, and it's corruption. Oh, God, I love Thailand. Okay, so when we talk about corruption, um, here we go. Okay, so let me let me hurry up and find that. Country sh- trouble by corruption should eliminate it to protect their poor and ensure that tourist dollars, often in the billions, trickle down to reach people those to reach people who are in need. I love that. Apparently, Thailand is the number one most visited country in the world. And a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, because we have the best beaches. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's a lot of men. How much of the population are men? About 70 to 80 percent. And they come here for some other reasons uh, that I will not uh, disclose here. But, you know, uh, when it comes to Thailand, 38 million, there should be an enormous amount of money being poured in back into the community, but there isn't at least clean up the canals. You know, the things that I've talked about in the last, you know, the last segment in terms of like smart homes, smart cities and stuff. Um, Also, I think one of the most difficult parts of Thailand is the inadequate way of getting around. So let's say this, for instance, if you fly from Bangkok to Chiang Mai, an hour north, it's kind of like flying from LA to Las Vegas or an hour in any direction of where you live right now. You land there and there is no transportation to get you to your hotel. You have to set it up with the hotel. If you try taking transportation out of the airport, they're going to overcharge you so bad. And it's because corruption. Getting around in Chiang Mai, there's something called a red songtail, which is like a red carriage van looking thing. They overcharge everyone. Rampant corruption. So they're like, oh, we're going to build a tram system. That's going to take another 10 years. So no, no one's going to go there. And if they do, they're going to get constantly robbed. This is why people choose to go to the likes of Bali. Okay, go to Phuket. You land in Phuket, the old, I'm talking, it's not, Thailand is one of the most gorgeous countries on the planet, but the people in the country, that's the problem. So anyways, you go on to Phuket, okay? You land in Phuket, gorgeous. It ain't gorgeous, it's gorgeous, okay? That means it's even more gorgeous than it is. You know what I'm saying? So you land in Phuket. For you to get to the town, do you know how much money you have to pay? $30. Okay, it's an hour away, $30. Oh, that's not too bad, Arsenio. No, it's the fact that if you take a bus, it's only about $3. So what the hell is going on here? A bus versus a private limousine. See, these private limousines operate privately and corruptively. If I can make corrupt, if, if I can make corruption a goddamn adverb, you understand what I'm saying. So once you get to Phuket, you have these taxis there. They don't use the meter. Where are you going? Okay, 500 baht. Excuse you. 500 baht is insanity. 500 baht is like driving 100 kilometers, 62 kilometers. They're gonna charge you 500 baht to go 400 meters max. See, that's the problem. 16 dollars to drive. A goddamn football field. Is that fair? So, because the rampant corruption here within the transportation system, they're trying to push everything as fast as possible. They're going to, you know, open up the big, massive Bungsu Grand Station, which is going to be possibly the biggest in all of Asia next January, along with the red line. So, you'll be able to connect to the uh, the airport in the north. Um, you know, they're going to connect. They're connecting everything right now in and around Bangkok. But what about your other provinces? That's the biggest issue. Because if you don't focus on that, people are never going to go in there and pour into that economy out there. You guys are focusing and putting all your eggs in one basket. And then once you do, like I said and stated in the previous podcast, 
if tourism goes down, which it will, by about probably about 50 to 75% this year, then what? Oh, we don't know what to do. No, no, no. Uh, you still got a plenty full of that money. And I know you do, but the problem is it's not being pumped back into the economy. It's being pumped into the wrong pockets. And that's how the cookie crumbles. So in saying that, guys, um, yeah, na uh, nations building hotels and clearing villages. That's what's happening here in Thailand right now. Not so much hotels, but they're building condominiums. And they're taking away a lot of the green. Like I told you guys, I was coming back from a wedding about three, four weeks ago. About three weeks ago. As a matter of fact, three weeks ago tomorrow. And the green was unbelievable. I'm just sitting like at this place called Bangrak Noi Ta'it Station. And I'm going from station to station on the outskirts of town. I'm just glaring like a baby out the window, looking at these big, beautiful green trees, just knowing that they're going to be knocked down someday because after a couple of two, three, four stations, places that didn't even have condominiums have these massive 5,000 unit condominiums now that completely destroy the environment and bring more cars and pollution into the area, which I spoke about in the suburbs. You see, you, got, you see what I mean, guys? So there are so many things to consider, okay? I would love to engage with you guys in conversation because if we look at the people who listen to this podcast, it's un believable if i look at just the last as a matter of fact because i just uploaded an episode about six hours ago usa brazil south korea canada uae turkey italy russia now if i look at the last 10 episodes i got about 60 countries so i just would love to hear some of your stories okay ukraine taiwan of course china uh iran india vietnam peru australia dominican republic mongolia Mexico, Netherlands, France, Morocco, Bolivia, UK, Cambodia, Philippines, Spain, Nicaragua, Ireland, Hong Kong, Switzerland, Colombia, Algeria. Oh my God, guys, I'm running out of breath. Do you guys understand? You guys live in some beautiful areas. I've checked it out. I'm like, ooh, I've never heard of this town. Where is that? I'm like, holy shit, there's a house on top of a hill. How does he get up there? Does he climb or does a helicopter drop off? I would love to hear your opinions about this. Guys, follow me on my Instagram. Message me and say, man, I would love to have a conversation with you about tourism. And guess what? I am taking entries. I'm doing a huge, I'm talking about a huge speaking activity. It's talking where it's, um, there are about four to five segments of it. But it all revolves around planning a trip. So the first one would be, have you ever planned a trip? If so, how did it go? What do you think are the most important factors when you consider planning a trip? Okay, that's one little segment. Another segment would be, how is organizing a trip abroad different from you know traveling in your home country? There are four questions to that. There's another one on this side. And uh, guys, there are just so many. And I really, really would love any of you to reach out to me and let me know if you guys are interested in any of that. So if you guys want to come on and talk to me, man, I am accepting all invitations. So with that being said, guys, thank you for tuning in to another very, very long. Oh my God. I knew this was going to be a long episode too, because I love going on some rants and stay tuned for more guys. We're getting back into behaviors over and out.